You know, there's some sermons where you sit down and you try and think, okay, what do folks need to hear? Sometimes you imagine like a table and different people sitting around the table and what would, what would God have for these folks? And then there's other times where you give a sermon and it's really aimed at yourself. Uh, this is one of those for me. Uh, this sermon's titled, Them Changes. Now, the speed at which things are changing, particularly because of the pandemic, I think is a new thing. The rapid uh, amount of change that we've experienced so far this year, I think is new. But the necessity of adapting to change, well, that isn't new at all. And, and I brought something with me as kind of a token, a symbol of how quickly change can come. And I don't know when the last time you saw one of these is. I know it's going to be hard to see here, here, here in the room. This is a Blockbuster Video membership card. Oh, yeah. Now, some of y'all might be like, man, how long has he been holding on to that thing? Well, here's the, here's the deal. I got it this year when earlier I visited the Bend Blockbuster, the very last one in the world. Oh, yeah. It, it really exists. Now, the, the light caught, that just, that caught this just right. Doesn't this blockbuster look like it's at the front of the pearly gates or something? Like, oh. Um, now, uh, uh, this is the world's last blockbuster in Bend, Oregon. And, and I know there's, there's some of us with us that, that don't know what it's like to try and be kind and rewind. Or, or don't know like, what it was like to have to go to a physical store to rent physical DVDs. I'm going to put this on the very special little, little stand here uh, to keep it safe. So Blockbuster was, was, was a video rental chain, right? Instead of streaming movies or just renting them, you actually had to show up, and if you didn't bring it back on time, they cost you more money. It was, think of it like a, like a giant red box, really. Um, and, and, and I have a ton of memories of Blockbuster growing up, uh, especially with my dad. He was a huge Blockbuster guy. So going to this Blockbuster, was, it was like the temple of nostalgia, man. It, it, was, just, it was just quite an experience, but Blockbuster didn't survive because they didn't change, right? Consumer habits were changing. Technology was changing, and they didn't adapt. So now there's one that's kind of like a novelty. They were outpaced by the YouTubes and Netflixes of the world. And, and having gone recently, even as a Blockbuster member, I, I got to tell you, I, I would have rather just streamed it online and kind of Skipped having to go anywhere or forgetting to return them and being charged more money, right? If I don't physically rent them, I can't physically forget to return them sort of deal. So how do you respond to change? My guess is that most of us are like Blockbuster. Not well. My typical reaction is when something is changing is being annoyed. Now I'm going to list a lot of trivial things at a time when there's a lot more to be concerned about. But this is my general pattern. When something I like gets taken off a menu, I get annoyed. When I have to update the software on my phone, that's annoying to me. When I have to change my password for some reason, I'm, again, annoyed. You seen the pattern here? I get annoyed with my mask. I got glasses. I'm all, nothing is more dorkier feeling than having your glasses fog up. Sorry, hold on, excuse me. Right. Uh, um, I'm annoyed. Uh, when I try to open the little communion cups we've been using, that's annoying to me. That's not what I want to be feeling during communion, is annoyed. The body and blood of Christ given for you, I'm annoyed. Like, that's not what I want, right? I'm annoyed my kid can't ride the bus to school. I can make you a giant list of things that annoy me, all the things changing that I find annoying. 
And here's the part where I'm preaching to myself. My attitude of being annoyed does not honor Christ. So here's the mantra, here's the, here's the phrase I've been repeating to myself over and over these weeks and months. Being annoyed is not a spiritual gift. I don't know who else needed to hear that. Being annoyed, I'm gonna say it for the people on the TV, being annoyed is not a spiritual gift. So what's on your list of things that are changing that you find annoying? I think depending on what industry you're in, you could make different lists. My sister is a contracted worker in education, and last week, she's watching a live feed of the school board vote that'll determine whether or not she has a job in the next week. Folks are having to adjust their wedding plans. People can't honor and bury their loved ones with a funeral like normal. I know one family that rolled up to college to move, to move their, their, their daughter in and within 15 minutes was told that the whole thing was getting shut down and they had to turn it back around. I mean, can you imagine that? So when them changes come, how do you respond? Ronald Heifetz said in a book called Leadership on the Line, people don't resist change, they resist loss. Most of us don't like change because it's like we've lost something, something valuable. And the human response to loss is grief. I talked about grief at Easter. I talked about grief two weeks ago. I'd encourage you to check that out if you missed that. I just, I'm gonna keep talking about this because I think we're walking around with grief, whether we know to call it that or not. If you're like me and things change, a lot of times you wish they could just go back to the way they were. That was certainly where the disciples found themselves, especially Peter in John chapter 21. At this point, Jesus has appeared previously to the disciples twice, but Peter, he's, he's still kind of in a funk. And his, his, his life is, has taken a downward turn And in the conclusion of the Gospel of John, it records a third appearance of Jesus to his disciples. So we're going to pick up in John 21, verses 1 through 3. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, or uh, otherwise translated as the twin. Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish. Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. I'm going fishing. That's, what, that's how Peter made his living before he met Jesus. In the aftermath of Jesus' resurrection, Peter went back to what he knew. Sometimes after crisis hits, we find ourselves going and, or, or looking for, being comforted by old patterns. There's something that just is nice about the familiar I don't know if you've ever thought about the etymology of that word familiar, has the same roots as family, right? It's like the familiar things feel like home. The disciples hadn't caught anything, and this was the trend in Peter's life. It's just not going well. But all that was about to change. We'll pick up in the second half of verse three. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, you have any fish? No, they answered. And I just wanted to stop here because I think Jesus has a sense of humor. Right, like if he's omnipotent, he knows they haven't caught any fish. 
as I just think this is kind of funny. Maybe this is me just w- being twisted, but it's kind of like, I, I don't think it's actually very helpful that he asked, hey, you caught anything? <laughs> like, you ever had a friend and you lost something and your friend's like, well, do you remember the last place you had it? Have you looked there? And you're like, thank you. <laughs> you know, not helpful. So whether or not you think Jesus is being funny, uh, he's revealing himself. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John, who wrote the book, refers to himself, by the way. When you write the book, I guess you get to pick how, you, how you're referred to. The disciple whom Jesus loved, how would you like that? Uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So what tipped it off that it was Jesus talking to them? It was because there on a familiar shore, they heard familiar words and realized it was their familiar savior. Jesus had appeared to Peter and a lot of these same disciples in the same place. He's, he's, he's speaking to them in the, in the manner where he originally called several of them. And so just like when Jesus called Peter, he gives them a fishing tip. So Jesus has given them a throwback. Peter once again brings the dramatic effect by like jumping into the water and getting all his clothes going. And uh, he wanted to be the first to greet Jesus after a long night of fishing. Surely the men would have been worn out and they would be hungry. And I just love that Jesus thought of this because when they come back to shore, he's got breakfast going for them. I, I, I just, I know, I know this is like, this is my, one of my favorite scriptures. That's something preachers say all the time. John 21, man, this really is like, just really up there for me. Jesus had breakfast ready. He said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. Interesting detail. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So it's said that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I don't know how that goes in your house. I've got a three and a six-year-old, so sometimes the only breakfast I eat is kind of what's, <laughs> what's left to scrounge around for. Uh, but I have experienced that breakfast is the most personal meal, right? Like you don't just have anybody over for breakfast, or, or folks don't typically come over to your house early in the morning and maybe see you before you've had the chance to, you know, groom yourself or, or before you've had your coffee. Breakfast is a significant meal, and the one Jesus prepares for the disciples, especially Peter, is especially significant. Because this breakfast will change not only the course of Peter's life, but it will set the church on, on a brand new history. Verse 15 says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, some of us are hearing this story for the first time. Others of us might be uh, more familiar with it. But what, what do you think Jesus is referring to Then he says, do you love me more than these? Who do you think is these? Is, is Jesus saying like the other disciples? Maybe, maybe. 
I think the these that Jesus refers to is the fish. Do you love me more than these? I kind of imagine Jesus maybe gesturing to the net full of 153 fish or, or motioning to the, to the fish in the skillet he's just cooked up. It was Jesus who had called Peter out of his former existence as a fisherman to follow him. And, and so these fish, when, G, when Jesus says, do you love me more than these, they represent Peter's former life. And, and to me, it's as if Jesus is saying, well, Peter, which do you love more? Your life of, of familiarity and relative safety and isolation or a life of faithful obedience to me? Do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. This would be an exchange they have a couple more times in this chapter. That's another sermon for another time. Jesus said, feed my lambs. If Peter is going to change, if Peter is going to continue to follow Jesus, he can't just go back to what he's known. The way of Jesus leads forward, not backwards. Jesus is calling Peter to a new work. And then Jesus gives Peter some pretty terrifying and, 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 and sort of hauntingly beautiful words about his future and that people are going to lead him where he's not going to go. And eventually he'll outstretch his arms. And, and the Bible says that this is referring to the type of death Peter would experience. And Jesus says all that, and then he ends their time together with the same phrase that he has said to Peter years before, follow me. Follow me. The question we need to ask ourselves we're in the, when we're in the middle of experiencing change, is will you still follow Jesus when you don't know where he leads? This is a much different response than being annoyed. Will you still follow Jesus when you don't know where he leads? When our preferences aren't being met? When our familiarity is challenged? Will we be annoyed or will we be obedient and continue to follow Jesus? There's a personality profile assessment you can take, and it's called the change style indicator. It helps you understand your reactions and preferences when it comes to change. People generally fit into three categories, conservers, pragmatists, and originators. Now the speed that, at which people prefer change is kind of slower on the left and, and it gets faster as you go to the right. So conservers per incre prefer incremental or slow change. Uh, pragmatists are, are really just concerned with, well, what's the result? If we're changing something, what for? Right? But originators, they love change. They, they prefer change that's quick and expansive and total. So if, if you've ever been in a meeting with someone who's like, let's just blow up the whole thing and start over, they're probably an originator. And if you like, want to throw up when someone says that or you think that they're crazy, you're probably a conserver. And if you're somewhere in the middle, you're probably a pragmatist. Uh, there's a lot of folks, uh, I think, who are on change overload. And at this moment in our country, there's a whole lot of other people for whom change isn't coming fast enough. So I think it's a very personal and pertinent question. 
how do you respond to change? Every single person I know has experienced a ton of change in 2020. And I think how well each of us responds to change in these next days and weeks and months will be directly proportional to our spiritual, mental, and even physical well-being. Friends, I think we gotta buckle up. Our capacity to deal with change will affect how much peace we're able to experience in this time. I almost titled this message Into the Unknown, but I, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Shout out to all my Frozen 2 people who understand that reference. I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't sing it, so I didn't want to go there. But will you still follow where you, when you don't know where Jesus leads? Friends, the good news is that we can do this with confidence because we worship a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. James 1.17 says this, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together uh, both gathered here at our physical church and, and scattered and distributed as your church uh, around Kearney, around Kansas City, uh, and all over the place. God, speaking personally, uh, I just want to take this moment uh, to turn over all my feelings of annoyance and frustration with change uh, and give them over to you. God, in this moment, I invite my friends to do the same to take our angst, to take our anger, to take our hurt and trade it to you and in exchange receive your peace that somehow we could still experience your joy in the midst of circumstances far beyond our control on a variety of levels wherever we find ourselves today. God, as we consider continuing to follow you, may we do so with confidence. Through the reading of your word, may we be reminded of your great love for us in sending us your son, Jesus Christ, to show us the way to you. God, give us the courage to keep moving forward, to follow Jesus, even when we don't know where that would lead. Give us the strength to keep moving forward and not just want to shrink back to what we've known because we know where you are leading goes far beyond. God, we need your presence. We need your wisdom. Remind us of your love this morning, wherever we're at. In Jesus' name, amen.